Today we're beginning a series called Those People. And you, you may already be wondering who those people are. Or maybe you already figured out and you know that I'm not saying it right when I say it that way. The way that I really mean to say it is those people. Right? That makes it more sense. Because everyone has those people in their lives. People that require extra grace. People that require extra patience. People that require extra time or extra effort. People that honestly can drive us nuts. Everyone has those people in their life. And so over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some specific versions of those people that a lot of us have in our lives. And and we're not so much going to look at how to deal with those people as we're going to look at how God would have us respond, how God would have us relate um, to those people. And it's of utmost importance that I say this right up front. Everyone, everyone, every single person in this room today and beyond is almost certainly one of those people to someone. You may not be one of those people to someone by any of the specific versions of those people we'll tackle in this series, but you know I'm right on some level. I know who those people are in my life, and when they enter a room, when they enter my sightline, I kind of sigh and wonder what they'll want, wonder if I can escape. And it's not the right reaction, but it tends to be how I react. And even though I consider myself a fairly likable person, I have to be honest with myself and say that I'm quite sure there are people that when I come into the room, when I enter their sight line, they say, what's he going to want? How can I get away from him? I hope that's not true, but I'm realistic. We all have those people, and I think we all on some level are those people. Humans are so amazingly unique. It's one of the, to me, most amazing things about God's creation is how unique we really are. And a lot of the times those differences complement one another well. Some of you are, are married or, or in, in some sort of romantic relationship and you say, yes, there's a lot of differences between me and my spouse or me, me and my girlfriend or boyfriend or whatever, but it works that we're different. Th- those differences complement one another. And while that can happen, inherent in the differences between people will also be conflict. And the result sometimes is that there will simply be people in our lives who we struggle to be compatible with which results in all of us having those people in our lives. And so if everyone has those people, and to someone everyone is those people, what could we possibly learn from God's Word about that? What would God have to say about this? Well, I'm going to give you the bottom line before we even get into this. We have those people, we are those people, but the good news is that God loves those people. And through Scripture, God shows us how we should love and care for and minister to those people, whether we get along with them or not. And that can make all the difference in our relationships if we're willing to listen, learn, and put God's teaching into action. And so today we're going to begin with the overly needy people in your life. Now here's what I mean by overly needy people. Have you ever known someone who, how do I put this, everything is dramatic. Everything. They're often the victim, the world is against them, the sky is falling, nothing ever goes right. Understand who I'm talking about? They worry about everything, they worry about what everyone thinks of them, and on top of that, the icing on this cake, everything they're worried about, everything they're getting dramatic about, you better get worked up about too, because it's a big deal. How many of you are thinking of someone like that right now? Don't point. 
please. But we all know people who, who require that extra grace because every time you run into them, something's wrong. And you can sit back and you can say, that's really not that big a deal, but you would never say that to them. So we should all be on the same page here. Uh, real quick, if you have someone in your life who isn't that person, who's really the opposite of that, I want you to write their name down, make a note, thank them later. Because compared to overly needy people, let's, just, let's be real here, compared to overly needy people, this person's pretty special and they deserve to know that. Now when dealing with overly needy people, what's our typical response? We don't have to be proud of it, but we have to be honest. Our typical response is avoid, avoid, avoid. Keep me away from them. Get me away from them. Be honest with yourself. When they call, do you answer? If you get an unknown number on your phone, do you risk it? If you see them from a distance in the grocery store, do you seek them out? Or are you right back out the door ducking and diving down the aisle? Think about moments when your reaction was to avoid. And then step back from that moment and replay it for yourself. Like, like you're watching yourself. Are you proud of your reaction to seeing that person? If we're willing to step back and say, boy, I should be embarrassed about the way that I acted. That, that's actually a good thing because that, that should push us forward. The, the truth is we need to be willing to step back and evaluate our actions and our, our motivations if we truly want to live like Jesus. And so if ever your own actions in the face of an overly needy person have been embarrassing... Use that to make that important change, to decide to do better. That's a huge way we can become more like Jesus, by being uh, honest about our flaws and our, our issues, our mistakes. And we can chuckle um, a little bit about how dramatic overly needy people can be. There was some, some, some chuckling. I knew there would be. I'm sure we could all tell stories about somebody who just, the world was falling on them. But here's a truth I'm having trouble denying, and it's important. Even if someone is overly needy, even if they're overdramatic about it, on some level, they are still in need. So sometimes we let the overly part of this cloud our view. And, and we only see the overly needy and we forget the actual need. Whether the need is physical, mental, spiritual, educational, or even just the need to be acknowledged or heard. Let me give you some examples. Uh, when we lived in Ohio, I helped out regularly. At a, we had a church-sponsored food pantry, and so we'd, we'd work out there. And it was a, lot, it was a really fun place to be because all the older guys in the church, literally, that's, that was their social life, was hanging out in the food pantry. And so you'd hear great stories and um, jokes that probably shouldn't be told at church and stuff like that because these guys were just good old boys. And we'd have a blast, and, and, and they served the community with, with such open hearts because they gave away so much. And pretty regularly what would happen is people would come in and get, get their food, and, and we gave them as much food as we really could. And often people would ask for more, more specific kinds of food or, or maybe something like diapers that we didn't often have. And, and there was a temptation in those moments to let someone who had just received this free food, that, that, that they would ask for more, to let that bother us. To, to be a little bit of, okay, listen, you got free stuff, move on. There, there was a temptation to feel that way. And the, and the truth is that wasn't made any better where when if we said, well, we don't have any diapers today, or diapers were something we rarely had in, in, in the food pantry, they would look so dejected it was like we did something purposely to hurt them. 
what I had to realize was those of us who don't live in that kind of need struggle to understand. And, and there were times that I let the little bit of drama involved in the situation and my own lack of understanding of their need let me make me forget the matter that they, they really were in need. And if they asked for diapers, it's probably because they needed diapers. Things that I take for granted. The fact remains, they were in need, and I had the opportunity to respond. And I had to see it that way. You might say, well, that's a physical need. That, most, of, most of the overly needy people in my life are, are more on the emotionally needy side. Well, honestly, it's the same thing. And the person who's lost someone, and it's all they ever want to talk about, and they bring it up at, at random times, and sometimes maybe you even think, man, they bring that up at inappropriate times. We get frustrated when people just want to talk about the same thing all the time. But the, again, the overly nature of their need to talk about the loss clouds our ability to remember that in the face of loss, there is an ongoing need for comfort. And it's a need that we have the opportunity to respond to. You see, we, we, we lose sight of that. A very good chance that when we think about the overly needy people in our lives, we focus on the overly and often forget the need. We see the drama. We see the inconvenience they can be to us. We see the, the money this might cost us or the time we might have to give. And we forget that at the core of this person, there is still a need that we have the opportunity to respond to. So how do we respond? How, how do we help? How do we meet needs in the life of those in need, no matter what the need is? even the overly needy, because, because remember, the overly doesn't change the need. And how do we help in a way that really helps? Well, that particular question comes back to, to the difference between relief and restoration. A lot of people need relief. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance. It's, it's what can be done right then and there in the moment, directly in the face of a need. Relief is a good thing, but relief is temporary. When someone faces some sort of tragedy, like an unexpected loss, they need relief. And we're actually pretty good at relief. We, we do well with this. If there's a, a death in the family, we send flowers. We show up to be physically supportive. We send cards and check on family members and make donations in their memories. And, and what's the thing we do best in the face of a sudden loss? Thank you. Food. We can make some food. If I had a dollar for every time, you know... End up, you know, working at church, you, you end up um, spending a lot of time around people who have lost people because you know, call the church and the church wants to be there for you and we're involved in those things. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said, we just have too much food at the house, I'd, I'd have a pretty nice chunk of change because it happens every time. It's like people hear that somebody's passed away and they make a casserole. It's our response. And, and it's, it's relieving and it's great because I'll tell you what, even the, the person in the world who, who loves to cook the most probably isn't going to feel that much like cooking in the face of sudden loss. And so it helps. It, it, it's, it's relief. It, that casserole lightens the load, even if just for a little bit. I've told this story many times. When I was in, uh, when I was in fifth grade, my grandmother passed away. I was one of nine grandkids um, at the time. Um, all but one of us were under the age of 12 at the time. And uh, my grandparents were, were pretty well known. So we had, we had two expecting to be very largely attended visiting hours, viewing times, depending on what you call it, one in the afternoon and one in the evening. And so the kids were around for the afternoon viewing and, you know, nine kids under 12 in a funeral home. You know, you can deal with that for a little while, but bring them back between seven and nine and it's probably not going to go very well. 
Um, and so they were trying to decide what to do because none of the adults, obviously, they didn't want to miss being there. Um, and we had a family friend that, that volunteered to watch us all at our grandparents' house. And, she, and you know, 7 to 9 visitation like that, it was probably 10 or 10.30 before the adults got home. But she stepped in and she said, this is something I can do. And it was, it was relief. It was very much needed. The small gesture that brought that huge relief. We're not too bad at relief. In, in the face of natural disasters, we're, we're pretty good at mobilizing and gathering resources and sending that relief to affected areas. And it helps in the moment in a huge way. Relief is good. It's amazing in the moment. It's needed. But it's temporary. The other kind of help is restoration. And the truth is, as individuals, as a country, and even as a church at times, we're not quite as good at restoration. And what I mean by restoration is working with people to restore them to their God-given potential, to, to bring them back from whatever it is that has broken them down. You see, relief is temporary. Restoration is ongoing. And the reason we're not as good at restoration is because it tends to take more time. It tends to take more effort. It, it, it tends to take resources. Think about it in terms of a car. Let's say that pretty regularly your car won't start. Relief says, every time my car won't start, I'll buy a new battery. Now, nobody's actually going to do that, but, but relief says, just buy a new battery. Then the car starts and everything's fine, unless it keeps happening. Restoration says, let's study the situation, let's determine what's causing the battery to go dead, and let's fix that. And when we do, in the long run, we won't have to keep replacing the battery. Or think about it in terms of your health. Sometimes when we have an ongoing health issue, we treat the symptoms get relief, and then move on. But if there's an underlying problem causing the symptoms that we don't deal with, it's just temporary relief. Restoration means finding the right doctor who won't stop until they've discovered the underlying issue and walked you through whatever it takes to restore your health. And that's really how it is with people and their needs. If someone's need is financial, you can throw a few hundred dollars at them and solve their issue for a moment, but that's just relief, not restoration. Restoration means you come along beside them and help them budget and you know, help them make important financial decisions and help put them back on track to financial stability. If you go back to our, our example of overly needy people, if, if everything is always awful and the sky is falling and you need to do something about it, our, our natural response to that is relief as well. And our go-to relief is this. I'll pray for you. We say that, and, and I don't want to say that that's not a good response, because it is. We need to be praying for one another. And when we say we're going to pray for another, we need to follow through. I think sometimes we say that, and we don't actually go back and pray for them. But in the moment, that can be a, a relief thing more than a restoration thing. Because I will admit to you today, I have absolutely said that I would pray for someone, and while I mean it, and while I did pray for them, I also know that by saying I'll pray for you, the conversation is probably going to be shorter, and I'm going to get away from it sooner. And that's not okay. But if, if we're going to learn to be more like Jesus, if we're going to do better with how we do things, we have to be willing to be honest. What we need to do in that situation is pray for them and then say, what else can I do? And I don't know what that looks like in the life of the overly needy person because it's a tough one. I don't know how we respond in a restorative way, but I do know that my natural response tends to be relief, and that's not good enough. 
Because here's the truth. I'm giving that person a small amount of relief by saying I'm praying for you. And they know that, and that, that's, that's relief. But I'm giving myself just as much relief by giving my, getting myself out of the situation. And that's pretty messed up and pretty selfish when I think about it that way. This is going to be a struggle for us. Because we want to help. I believe that we really want to help those in need, those who are overly needy, all of those things. But by nature, most of us tend to want to offer relief when a lot of times the right thing to do is restoration. And so our heart's in the right place, but we're, we're, we're putting a Band-Aid on it. Sometimes because that's what we can do, and sometimes because it's easier. And so I want to share with you today a fantastic story from the Bible. Um, I really think this can teach us some things. In Acts chapter 3, and the writer of Acts sets this up really well for us. So beginning in verse 1, this is uh, in the insert in your bulletin if you want to follow along. It says, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. Some stories in Scripture, um, as they're written, don't do such a great job of setting up the scene, but this one does. I believe that you ought to be able to visualize what's happening here. There's a gate, an entrance to the temple, and each day these guys carry in this man who from birth had never been able to walk, and they lay him there next to the gate so that he could have as good a chance as possible to collect some money from folks going into the temple. Because if anybody should be generous, it should be people who are on their way into the temple. And let's be real, there are multiple examples of giving relief here, right? Because if people give the man money, that's, that's just relief. But you've also got whoever brings the man to the temple daily, he can't get there by himself. And they put him in a position he couldn't put himself in, and, and, and therefore he's even able to receive the money. That in itself is relief. In verse 3 when the man, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Here's the truth. Most people think that money is their greatest need. The man who could not even walk may have also felt this way, or he may have simply felt it was the best thing he could logically or realistically ask for. He wasn't going to sit there and say, can anybody help me walk? And so he asked for money. Verse 4, Peter and John looked at him Intently, and Peter said, look at us. Now, this is interesting. I want to ask you a very important question. If you've ever encountered someone asking for money, do you ever look them in the eye? Or did you try to get away from that situation as quickly as possible? See, our natural reaction seems to be to try to avoid. It's not okay, but again, we have to be real if we're going to learn from this story. And so when Peter asks this man to look at them, this is a good thing for the man. Because most people entering these gates, my guess is they tried to get in while the crowd was, was heavy. They, they tried to go on the opposite side from where he was. They tried not to make eye contact, tried to pretend they didn't hear him. That'd be the temptation for most of us. And, and we see in verse 5 that the lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. You see, making eye contact, making actual verbal contact with somebody coming through these gates was a good sign. There was a good chance he was going to come out of this with at least a little bit of money. Verse 6, but Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. And Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. 
probably heard the phrase, not giving a hand out, but a hand up. This is actually a literal example of that. He, he literally reached down and helped this man who had never walked to get up. Continue reading, and as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Now, I'm not a doctor, obviously, but I'm glad the biblical author included this note about his feet and ankles being instantly healed and strengthened because he's never walked from birth. So he wouldn't have the strength to hold himself up on his own legs, let alone walk and even leap. There is no doubt that this is miraculous. Verse 9, all the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. And who wouldn't be? They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. See, Peter and John helped bring restoration through the power of God. They, they worked with this man. They didn't just give him what he asked for. They didn't just give him a handout. And, and don't be mistaken here. Peter and John were God's instruments, but God did the restoring. If we're willing to be tools of restoration in the lives of the people around us, I believe that God will, will bless that willingness and bring restoration into those people's lives through us. We can be a part of this. And so if we want to bring restoration into people's lives, not just relief, how, how do we get there? How do we do that? I want to share with you what, what Pastor Craig Rochelle calls the three prayers of the restorer. These are, these are fantastic. If you begin to pray these prayers and mean them, I think it will really change the way you function. So here's the first prayer. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. This is what Peter did. The man asked for money. Peter said, I don't have money for you, but I have something better. It was something the man needed, but the man didn't even ask for. See, here's the thing. People will tell you what they think they need. And when they tell you what they think they need, you can often replace the words think they need with want. Because the difference between need and want is not something we're super great at learning, even as adults. When someone asks for something, when someone presents us with a need, we need to pray and ask God for wisdom. To go beyond what they say and what we feel and, and discern the real and specific need in this person's life. Because remember, even if it's overly needy, they are still in need. They may say, I need money. But God makes it clear to you that what they really need is a steady job. They need somebody to give them an opportunity so that they can earn a living to take care of themselves and their family. And maybe you can come alongside and help with that in some way. And in the end, that's a much bigger difference than handing them some money. Restoration over relief. And there will be times that you will be tempted to just give people what they think they need because it it ends the conversation, it moves things on. But we can't settle for that. We can't take the easy way out. We need to pray to God that He would make it clear to us what it is that they really need. And that He would give us the ability and the resources to walk them through that to restoration. So that's an important prayer. God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. The second prayer. This one's going to be tough for some of you. Just fair warning. God, help me stay out of your way. By not continually rescuing people from their consequences. There are consequences for our good actions. There are consequences for our bad actions. 
this is important to know, and it's biblical. Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 says this, Don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Other versions of Scripture say, you reap what you sow. Mistakes should be learned from. But there are people who have never had to face the consequences of their decisions. They've never had to face the consequences of their mistakes. And I want to make a point of clarification here. I've heard a lot of people describe this as a generational issue. That the younger generations are the ones who struggle with this. And and while I, I don't think that that's untrue, and I think maybe I've even said that, the truth is I know people of every generation who struggle with this, who've never actually had to face consequences because someone is always willing to bail them out. Some of us are rescuers, and some of us continue to need to be rescued. And in our times of need, whatever the need is, if those of us continually needing to be rescued are always rescued by those of us who continue to be rescuers, I'm not sure that anybody ever learns anything. And I'm not sure anyone ever makes the changes necessary because if I'm always going to be rescued, what's the point? Why should I do anything differently? Rescuers bring relief, not restoration. And those who continually need rescued, that's not what they need. They need restoration. You know what another word for rescuers is? You're not going to like it. Enablers. Enablers. And yet God created a system where you sow negative seeds, you reap a negative harvest. It's there for you to learn from. But if someone comes in during the night and removes your negative harvest and replaces it with a positive one, you'll never learn. You won't do anything differently. As a parent, this is a struggle because I don't ever want my kids to hurt. I want to protect them from every kind of hurt. But am I helping them if I shield them from hurt that's caused by their own decision making? If I shield them from hurt or consequences that they've really brought on themselves, I'm robbing them of an opportunity to grow and to hopefully make a better decision next time. Now, I stop short of them being in physical danger. I'm not going to let them do something dangerous. But we tend to step in a lot sooner than danger is actually in the picture when it comes to parenting. Relief says, I don't want them to feel pain, so I'm going to do everything it takes to keep them from feeling pain. Restoration says, some of this pain is temporary and can help them grow. This is best illustrated in Scripture through the parable of the prodigal son. There's a good chance you've heard this story. Luke chapter 15, beginning of verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. He said, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all his money in wild living. And if you've heard the rest of the story, the son runs out of money and gets a job feeding the pigs. And he gets to the point where he's so hungry that the food that he's feeding the pigs begins to look pretty appetizing. And in that moment, he realizes there's got to be something better here. And he decides that living as a slave in his father's house, going back, crawling back as a servant would would be better than this, so he goes crawling home. And some people might say, but he's a father. If he loves his son, he'd rescue him. That's what a father should do. Something I never thought about was this. The father knew how much money he gave the son, generally. There's a good chance that he knew at least somewhat how long that money would last him. He knew what the son was going to do. He knew he was going to blow it all. 
And I believe that the, the father could have stepped in. He could have went looking for the son. Some of us, the way that we function in this way, we would have let the son get about 10 steps ahead of us and we would have followed slyly behind. Just to make sure. So that we're ready to step in when he makes a mistake. Some of us would do that. So this father could have stepped in. He could have gone looking for his son. Some of us would have done that. Okay, time for me to fix this because I'm the dad, but that's not what happened. The truth is, sometimes the best thing to say is, because I love you, I'm not going to rescue you. Because I love you, I'm not going to keep you from learning. And that sounds harsh, and in the moment it will feel harsh. We often have to learn the hard way to actually learn. Sometimes we have to hit rock bottom because if we hit rock bottom, it's the only way to look from there is up. And looking up from rock bottom is a pretty amazing place to discover that God was there all along. When the son in this parable comes crawling home to be a servant, which to me, by the way, is a sure sign that he learned something. His father doesn't express disappointment, he expresses love. In fact, he rolls out the red carpet, he throws a party. My guess is if the son hadn't hit rock bottom, he hadn't been given the opportunity to learn, there may not have been a party. But it was something to celebrate. It was the road to restoration, not rescue and relief. And so our prayer is, God, help me give people what they truly need, not just what they want. And God, help me stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their own consequences. And then the third one, and this is easily the most important one. God, help me remember that I'm in need to and that you are always the answer. This is really the key to the whole thing. If we really want to help people in need, we have to recognize that we, in fact, are in need, all of us. Psalm chapter 70, verse 5. These are David's words. He said, but as for me, I am poor and needy. Please hurry to my aid, O God. You are my helper and my Savior. O Lord, do not delay. David recognized that he was in need. When we realize that we are in need, then we remember that we are not the Savior Jesus is. And when we understand that, we stop trying to save people. We stop trying to rescue people. But instead, we try to point people to Jesus, the true Savior. Here's the thing. If you think that God needs you to meet everyone else's needs, your God is too small. You're not God. I'm not God. We are connectors that can connect people to the source, that can connect people to God. God who can meet every need they'll ever need. He'll work through you, but make no mistake, He's the one who meets the need. Sometimes we're tempted to embrace the rescuer role, and our ego gets a little bit inflated because we like to step in and be the hero. But all it does is dilute our ability to connect them to the true power source, and the one who brings relief, rescue, and most importantly, restoration. See, the most important need that every person has is the need to know God. Every other need pales in comparison to that need. And it's no coincidence that the only source that can fulfill all other needs is God himself. Remember, when Peter was presented with the need of the lame man, he didn't just provide relief. He connected him to the source of restoration, and the man was, in fact, restored. He went walking and leaping, which means his physical needs were met. But what Scripture actually tells us is that he went walking and leaping and praising God, the restorer. If we can be instruments in the hands of God to help bring people to restoration, that's the goal. God will gladly put us to use in that. 
Every single one of us has people in our lives that need restoration. Most importantly, need to know God. We have the opportunity to make that connection, to meet their ultimate need. So God, help us to give people what they truly need and not just what they want. Help us to stay out of your way by not continually rescuing people from their consequences. And God, help us remember that we are in need too and that you are always the answer. God, we want to make a difference in people's lives. Help us to know that it's really you're the one that makes all the difference. God, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that that it would be at the forefront of our minds just how important you are to us. That what you did when you sent Jesus to the cross for us made all the difference in the world and all the difference for eternity for us. God, help us to want to, to, to make sure that other people know that. Help us to help people come to know you. God, just bless us as we continue in our service. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing a song together um, to prepare our hearts for communion, so we invite you to stand with us as we sing together.